This is Near Death, where we shine a light on some of the darkest stories from the military world. To be honest, it's not for everyone. You'll hear about some pretty traumatic events, and this episode includes some graphic descriptions of serious injuries sustained on the battlefield. If you're okay to keep listening, here's Steve's story. I thought I was going to die when I put my hand to my head and saw the blood. I thought, oh shit, I need help now. I signed up when I was 18. I had a friend who had joined the army and he was telling me all about it and it sounded quite exciting and I wanted to push myself. I loved training. I got to see the world. I went to South Africa on a safari on horseback. I also went to Canada. I hadn't traveled much and now I was seeing the world. It broadened my horizons and I passed my driving test. It was the best time of my life. I loved being a soldier. Despite everything that has happened to me, it was the best decision I ever made and I don't regret it for a moment. I'm still in touch with some of the people I served with in the 4th Battalion the Rifles, and I attend the Just Rifles annual charity dinner and dance. Being in the army was the best time of my life. I was serving in Basra, and on my first tour, in 2007. I was only 19 at the time. All I can remember is that I was told to go on guard on the Sanger, or fortification. I saw two men and I radioed back to camp and said indirect fire was coming. I don't remember what happened next, but my life was saved by RAF helicopter pilot Michelle Goodman and her crew, which included medic Michael Day. They risked their lives and rescued me despite coming under heavy enemy fire. I thought I was going to die when I put my hand to my head and saw the blood. I thought, oh shit, I need help now. And then the helicopter came and saved me. In 2021, we interviewed Michelle Goodman and some of her crew for our other podcast, Tear Medals. That was when we first heard about Stephen. Chris Parker was the number two crewman on the Merlin helicopter that went to rescue Stephen. His entire chest was risen as he was fitting, so he was having a huge convulsion, almost arching his entire back. Um, and I could see as he came onto the ramp that he was very, very poorly. Um, the doctors, uh, the doctors got straight to work with him. The doctor and the nurse. Um, at that point, the uh, the troop commander on the ground uh, with me had a bit of confusion because he was trying to take the force protection lads off me because uh, he. I don't think they had an awful lot of guys there at the moment, and I was trying to get him back on. So I moved him out of the way and said, "We're keeping them." Got them back onto the aircraft. Ramp went up. Um, at that point, uh, it was a case of me getting up as quickly as I can so we could get away. And then lifted and departed. Um, we were definitely taking some form of contact as we departed. Um, and it was very evident once we got above a sort of a safe height that this lad was in a very, very poorly state. Um, the doctors and nurses were doing, were moving quicker than normal, I'd say. Um, it was, I wouldn't say, certainly not panicked. They were incredibly professional, but they were working at a fair pace. Um, you could see that he was, uh, they were putting all sorts of uh, lines into him at the time. And at that stage for me, um, I'm pretty sure it was me then that was uh, radioing ahead to the, um, to the hospital to give them a missed report, just to let them know that we'd got him and that 
what his injuries were. If I remember rightly, he had a um, pretty uh, traumatic injury to his head um, and certainly shrapnel damage if off the top of my memory, um, having been hit by a mortar round, I think. Um, it was very evident though to me. He was certainly one of the poorliest troops that we'd had at the ramp for a long time. And I include people with double amputations and um, yeah, so straight back to Nightingale or whatever it was called back then and landed on and he was met by the gurney by the, the hospital team who went, took him straight in. We used to get the reports from the hospital as to how they were getting on and the doctor went off on that occasion with um, the patient to do a handover. So he then drove back down to us and he said at the time that um, he didn't think he'd survive. We found out the next day that he hadn't died, which was clearly positive, but that he had um, pretty life-changing injuries. So the guy coming up the back of the ramp, 100% that's the, um, seeing his body um, convulsing was, that that was the most vivid part for me out of all of it. Ironically, not the car bomb or the, or getting back or anything like that. I just remember, I can still still remember that now. And I don't know why in particular, because trauma was uh, something we, we were involved with, certainly in 2007, fairly regularly, but it was just the first time I'd ever seen almost a human body fighting to survive, as opposed to, um, you'd see a lot of, you see a lot of incidences with, with, as I say, with amputations and things that are the kind of stuff you see on TV, but that one particular, he was, because I think he was only young as well, probably about 19, something like that. and. Um, you could see that he was just trying to stay alive. That's how it came across to me. I live at Royal Star and Garter. I first started coming here in 2015 and have been a resident since 2017. The home cares for veterans living with disabilities or dementia, and I receive amazing 24-hour specialist care. With the help and support of staff, I've been able to relearn the basic things that I used to take for granted, like eating and shaving. Thanks to staff, my speech is improving too, and I have this tablet to help me communicate. I work hard every single day. Since Basra, I have had to learn to completely adapt my life. I coped with the changes by never giving up with my rehabilitation. I use physio equipment which helps me stay strong mentally and physically. When someone tells me I can't do something I'm determined to prove them wrong, I work twice as hard. I introduced the sport of bocha to the home, and I often play with other residents. In 2021, I won the Soldiering on Awards Inspiration category. After taking part in a 60-mile London to Brighton virtual cycling fundraiser from my room, I did it during one of the COVID lockdowns, and with the help and support of staff I raised £5,000 for help for heroes. Whilst London to Brighton bike ride is usually a one-day event, for me it was a six-week challenge on my adapted static bike using my arms and legs alternately. It was tough, there were some days that were harder than others. It needed a lot of commitment and there were some times when I didn't feel up to it. But I wasn't going to give up. I was getting lots of public support that pushed me on, and I was getting messages from people like Lord Sugar, Jeremy Vine, Lorraine Kelly and the Loose Women team. I was happy just to be nominated for the Soldiering On Award. I didn't expect to win, and I was absolutely stunned when I did. Never give up. Even when you're at your lowest point, keep going. Keep fighting and things will get better. I'm living proof of that.
Near Death is a BFBS creative podcast produced by Gisela Waldron and me, Joe Cowan. Sound design is by Sean Harper with original music by Will Farmer. Our executive producer is Alex Griffiths. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and why not leave us a review? And if you've been affected by any of the themes discussed in this episode, support is available at bfbs.com audience support. Thank you.